Hello, and welcome to the MKG podcast. This podcast helps marketers grow their businesses using the four M's, the right means, messaging, media, and measurement. I'm your host, Carrie Gard, and to help me introduce today's guest, I have our SEO expert, Nathan Stenberg, back again. Hello, Nathan. Hello. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. Uh, hi, so Nathan, what was the last thing you bought and why did you buy it? Uh, I mean, technically the last thing I bought was diapers. <laughs> uh, and I, <laughs> but like non-essential things, I bought a selfie stick uh, and I bought it so I can try to get better pictures of my family. Hey, I like that you're actually gonna be in them. That's, that's hard to do as a parent. <laughs> Exactly. I also am going to hopefully leverage it to, because uh, it's a tripod selfie stick uh, for our upcoming future in the near future, hopefully uh, SEO live stream, expert SEO live stream here at MKG, uh, if we can get all the hardware requirements met. <laughs> I'll be looking forward to listeners, some of the forward to. Uh, you played this yeah. week now, Nathan, you got to fall through. Just saying. Oh, oh, we're, we're, we've got ideas. It's just more of a hard work, <laughs> hard work constraint right now. But hopefully I can use that as my capture device and cut down on the internet sucking that happens. Anyway, <laughs> enough about that. We'll, we'll get into that more later. Anyway, going back to the selfie stick and, uh, you know, buying it because you want to take more pictures of your family and, of course, be in them. That sounds like a little bit of an emotional play. Yeah, uh, it's just one of those things I've never been super consistent at. Uh, and just realizing that as the child grows faster and faster, uh, that it'd be great mm -hmm. to kind of capture more of those moments. So it's definitely something that uh, is tied to the uh, all the emotions of the kid growing up too fast, as well as, you know, just having, having memories for the future. Absolutely. And so in talking to Tamsin Webster today, we talk about why people buy the things that they do. And first, in order for them to buy anything, they have to know that they need to buy something, which you did. And then they have to make a decision, which is usually an emotional one. And I love how Tamsin really talks about finding that messaging around those things. And so Tamsin Webster is the founder of Find the Red Thread. She helps brands define their messaging by getting to this, this red th thread that she does a great job of actually articulating in our podcast of what this thing is and why she picked this, these, this turn of phrase. And it's really beautiful. And then using that to actually build your messaging in a really thoughtful way that gets people to want to join in on essentially what it is you're doing as a brand and go going beyond the service that you just provide or the product you just provide and getting to the heart of the matter, essentially. So let's hang out with Tamsin Webster and find out all about the red thread. Hello, Tamsin. Thank you for joining me on the MKG podcast. I'm so excited to be here, Carrie. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. You have a very interesting story. And so why don't you tell our listeners about yourself and what you do and how you got there? 
Sure. So I work with uh, individuals and organizations on how to talk about their ideas so that other people will act on them. Uh, and I, I would say that I didn't know that that's what I was doing when I first started my career, but looking back, that's really the only thing I have ever done in my career, as, you know, from job to job to job. So it's been, it's been a, a fun thing, but it, I end up doing just something I love every day. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you have a very interesting approach to how you help people find their ideas. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because in the, in the years, so I, you know, to give a little bit more detail on what I've, what I've done in the past, I, I studied marketing. So I've been in brand message marketing strategy for 20 plus years. Um, and so it was always my job while I was in organizations and in agencies, I've worked at both, uh, to be the person who came up with that articulation. Like, how do we talk about, you know, how do we, how do we, what do we put in an ad? What do we put in, in copy? What do we put in a blog post? What do we put in our social media? In order for people, for people to really understand what it is that we do, how it's different, why it's powerful, why they should act on it. And it was, it wasn't until about, uh, I guess about six years ago now, I was asked to become the executive producer of one of the oldest locally organized TED Talk events in the world. It's a, a place called TEDx Cambridge. Um, so if your listeners are familiar with TED Talks, those are the short three to 18 minute talks about, as the tagline says, ideas worth spreading. Uh, and my challenge was suddenly that I couldn't tell them how to talk about their idea, like not directly at least, mm -hmm. um, because these speakers needed to speak for themselves. And in order to really connect with the audience, how they talked about their idea needed to be in their own language and in a way they were comfortable with. And yet, it still needed to be articulated in such a way that was powerful enough that other people would say, hey, that's a new and different and powerful idea, and I want to do something with it. So I really started this process of figuring out how to reverse engineer my brain. And that's, that's the work that I do now with individuals and organizations is kind of applying that process that was the result of that reverse engineering. And so what is that process then? So I call it the red thread. And uh, it gets its name from uh, a, a Swedish expression, actually, that I had a client use once upon a time, which I just thought was lovely, where they're asking you, what is, the, what is it that makes this thing make sense? What's the theme of this? What's the through line? Uh, through line is also a concept very, very prominent in, in TED Talks and how the curator of TED, uh, Chris Anderson, you know, what he says makes it for a successful one. Um, but I was curious about this because in the, in the Swedish expression, you would say something like, what's the red thread of this? Or, you know, our red thread is about turning ideas into action. And I was super curious about where did they get that name? And uh, mm -hmm. I, I dug into it and it turns out that uh, the Swedish version of the red thread, and there are many red threads in many, many different cultures, um, but they believe that that one comes from the, the, the myth, the Greek myth of Theseus and the Minotaur. And the red thread was how Theseus found his way in and out of the Minotaur's labyrinth. And, you know, when I was trying to figure out, once I had come up with the process for how to reverse engineer my brain, um, I knew I had a process. The process really uh, very much was a process of recreating the steps that your own brain took to come up with that idea. Um, what I realized was the red thread, Theseus's red thread, was the perfect name for it because really, in my mind, you know, an idea is an answer. It's you know, your idea, your business, your product, your service is an answer, 
it's a new way to slay an old monster. It's your answer to how to solve an old problem. Uh, but just like Theseus, it's not the only problem you have to solve. It isn't just like, hey, we've got the answer, because that answer, you know, to, to people who've never heard it before, it's in the middle of a maze. And so in order to, you know, in order to really be successful, we have to not only be able to explain what our answer is, what our idea is, but we also have to be able to draw the path that will lead people to it. And so uh, at a high level, that's what the red thread is. It's a process for figuring out essentially how to build the connection between a question they have, you know, a problem they're trying to solve, and why your answer is the right answer for them. Oh, goodness. There's so many ways to figure out what their question is, right? I mean, absolutely. they have so many questions as our, as our customers that how do you know, how do you figure out what, what the question is, the right question? Yeah. And that's part, that's part of the hard and early work. And so when I'm working with clients to figure out what that question is, we're often going back and forth and answering and, and doing some things that help us gain clarity on how to find that question in the first place. One way to find that clarity is to understand a little bit more about your audience in the first place. And I don't just mean you know, segmentation, psychographics, demographics, but the big questions like what are they trying to achieve? You know, what, are, what are those, what are the kind of the big questions of what's going to get them hired or fired? What are their KPIs? What are the things that they're really trying to do? That's a, that's a question we try to answer. A second question is, what is something that your audience, whoever you're talking to, your prospective customer, needs to value that you also value? Because my experience shows that if somebody doesn't share a core value with you, uh, then it's not that it's impossible for you to get them on your side, but it's going to take a lot of time and effort. And my experience is that most marketers, particularly demand gen marketers, don't have that time. Um, so for yeah. instance, let's say that, you know, your approach is all about experimentation and, and iteration. Well, if some level they don't value that, they really just want to go with the kind of proven winner every time. Let's focus on the folks that value experimentation. That's going to be a greater, great, you know, that's going to be an easier place to start. And the third question that we're trying to find usually is like, well, what within that big thing that they're looking for, they're struggling with that you can answer. And a lot of that's very situational. So sometimes just figuring out where are you going to use this message? How is this customer going to interact with this message is a useful way to figure out and get narrow on that question. It's so interesting because my business partner and I were just talking yesterday about, about this and about our, our current clients and how we got them. And it's all mm -hmm. referral base. They either tell somebody about us or they leave their company and go to another company and bring us along. And it's so interesting because I was saying to my, I was saying to Mike that it goes beyond the fact that we drive ROI. Like it has to, it has to go beyond the yes, fact yes. that we drive 100%. outcomes. Yep. There's some value, there's some connection there that makes people want to work with us. And I don't know what that is. And we're going to go on a fact finding mission to figure that out. I have some ideas, hmm. but I really like to hear from the clients on what they think it is and why this keeps happening. So we can potentially maybe recreate it or go find more people like them, but there's this nugget and I, I can't quite put my finger on it. And it sounds like you really help people figure that out. 
Well, it's, yes, and that comes from understanding that every little choice that you make about who your message is for and who you're for is actually a way to differentiate and clarify what you're about, who you're about, why you're about that. And the clearer you are on that to yourself and therefore out into the, into the world, the more likely those people are to, to see you, find you, and know who else to send your way. And so just simple little questions like, well, do you like to work people work with people who are at the beginning of a journey to figure out what they're looking for? Or do you like the people who are like at the end? Just globally, generally people have patterns that, you know, I've, I have found clients just really like to say like, well, we really like to help people kind of understand the big picture in the first place. Like, you know, or, you know, we really love the people who love to get dick, you know, way down in the weeds. doesn't mean that you can't serve everybody, but they're, there's probably some folks that you find are better fits for you than others. Um, I do a lot of work with founders and with uh, speakers and authors as well. And, you know, for them particularly, they've got, you know, there's, there are some folks that, for instance, love to preach to the converted and some people who love to serve the skeptics. And just even those little choices um, help to differentiate. You know, questions about do you love to work with the management team or do you love to, love to work with people on the front line? Yes, you can solve the same problem, but you know, understanding that you're really for the person slogging it out in the trenches, uh, and that's who you serve, that helps to distinguish further. But yeah, I, I find oftentimes that there is a series of kind of decision tree questions that help to identify where you are. And ultimately, what I like to be able to do with 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 clients, and this is something I recommend everybody, is get to a point where you can say you know, this message, or we are for, you know, this category of people who want, fill in the high level goal, value, some value that you also share, and that must be present for them to love your product, but struggle with, and then kind of the specific question that you're trying to help them answer. Um, and yeah, it takes a little bit of work to get there, but it, but I usually find that if I'm doing that work live with people or even virtually, we're usually at that question within 45 minutes to an hour. You know, but it's a powerful question. Once you know that question, then you have, you're on the, you're on the path, you know, you're on your way to finding the Minotaur and slaying it. Like you've, you've, you've started that, you've started the, you're, you've made that first step on the red thread. So understanding your audience, what they want, getting to your differentiator, that value that, do you have any examples of, of values that people, I mean, I feel like you mentioned one or two, but do you have any out in the world of brands who are sort of doing this that that have a clear differentiator and make that known. Well, sure, and sometimes the value isn't actually it isn't actually what it isn't the value necessarily that's the differentiator. It's the it's the it's the kind of sum total of all these little choices that they're making about. Well, we're for you know we're for the line folks versus the the managers, or we're for salespeople more than we're for marketing folks, or we're for the you know the heads of operations, or we're for the you know, specific, you know, uh, production line manager. Um, that's a source of differentiation. Clarifying what's the high level goal that you're helping them achieve. Are you helping them achieve a productivity, efficiency, effectiveness? Uh, are you helping them uh, expand their impact on the world? Are you helping them accelerate, you know, and make what they do faster? Like, again, making those little choices about where the emphasis is, all of those are differentiators. Um, but one of my classic examples of, you know, kind of take two brands that people know pretty well side by side would be the kind of the difference between Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. Um, 
uh, so I live in Boston and, you know, so Duncan's big here. <laughs> um, and, uh, but you know, Starbucks made a pretty, you know, serious inroads. But I mean, if you think about it, like both of them start by asking the same question, like, how can I put caffeine into my body? Um, and from there, that that's kind of where these different choices and particularly their red threads, as I like to talk, talk about it, start to differentiate because, you know, one of the, one of, once you know kind of who you're for, um, you know, for Duncan, for instance, they're people, they're for people who are like on the go, like very pattern driven, um, really into just in and out. They just, and they're, they're, they're creatures of routine of a very specific kind of routine. You know, so if you're saying, how can I get coffee into my body? Duncan is very much about people who say, well, you know what? Coffee isn't just part of my morning routine. It is my routine. And because they share a value with their customers that coffee is fuel. That's why, you know, they're all about like the real differentiator of Dunkin' in the marketplace is how can you get that reliable, consistent cup of coffee fast and in a way that's absolutely customized to you, but also to the routine that you need. And you can see how that plays out in like their, in their physical spaces, you know, you know, Dunkin', like every surface is hard, like they're, mm-hmm. they're barely placed to sit down, like they're not offering you like free Wi-Fi and, you know, nope. snacks all day. Um, all their food can be eaten with one hand. <laughs> that. And in your car uh, while you're driving, because that's exactly right, right? the drive through first as well. And so if you kind of go back and recreate that red thread of what's the question, okay, the question is how can I, you know, how can I get my morning coffee? And then kind of this, you know, what I like to call problem perspective, which is it's just, you know, it's not just that coffee is part of the routine. It is the routine, this shared value, this truth, this belief that coffee is fuel. What does that lead to the change in the marketplace? Well, that's where the whole America runs on Duncan piece comes through. But you can back up and look at a very similar thing with Starbucks too, where you can say, okay, Starbucks, how can I get my morning coffee? And now, now you start to see there's a different choice on this problem of perspective. They say, you know, because if you think about what, what Starbucks is about, it's less about, you know, that coffee is the routine. It's more about, you know, when we're talking about taking a break for coffee, the break is just as important as the coffee. That they're actually looking for that, getting the coffee to be a break in the routine. Um, and so that's where that shared value um, kind of that next piece of the red thread comes in, which is just that the experience flavors the coffee. Like where I am and how I'm doing it actually changes how I feel about the coffee. And it's, by the way, literally true because in blind mm-hmm. taste tests, Dunkin' Donuts regularly wins out over Starbucks, even with Starbucks drinkers. So wow. you know there's something else going on. Um, and so that leads to Starbucks's you know, quite famous differentiation in the marketplace of creating a third place, a place between where your routines mostly are between home and office. And if you think about how that manifests in their experience, very different, right? So the furniture tends to be stuff where you do want to linger. It tends to be softer. It tends to be squishier. Like you, you, there's food that needs a fork. Like they have Wi-Fi, they have, mm-hmm. you know, music and, and they encourage, exactly. They encourage you to stay. And so just by, you know, this is all me retroactively kind of applying red thread thinking to their brands, but you can do this from the ground up to establish one and kind of really clarify why your brand is the way that it is. Like kind of going back, Theseus like retracing the steps and saying, okay, well, how did we end up at the third place? Or how did we end up at America Runs on Duncan? Those are ways to really figure out, you know, 
not only what your differentiation is, but why it is what it is. And that to me is ultimately a much, much more powerful piece of information to have than what your, you know, what your brand is for this year or this moment or this, you know, this vibe, this, this quarter. It sounds like you're almost going back to why you created the product in the first place. Like what was the problem you were trying to solve and why you felt there was a need for this thing on the onset and to go back to that original thought. You, in, 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 in a way, absolutely. Actually, that's precisely it because you know, through all the research that I've done, and this is not just about messaging, but now even into learning theory and uh, decision theory and behavioral economics and, and neuroscience, you know, ideas aren't found, they're built. You know, we build them piece by piece in our minds. We build them step by step, turn by turn through the maze. Um, but what we build them on is story, actually. We don't, it's not that we hear stories, it's that, that before we're even conscious of it, our brain takes information that we have in it and it creates a story out of it. And your brain is always trying to fill in these blanks. And by the way, they are the same blanks. And so that's what I, that's what the red thread is. It's what are those blanks that your brain is looking to fill. Um, but things like, what do you want? Like, what did you want when you were trying to get this product and develop this product in the first place? What was the shift in perspective that you, that you noticed? You said, Hey, you know what? Everybody in the market's focused over here, but I think we should focus over here. And the third piece is like, well, what is, why should you focus there? What is that? What is that belief that created a moment of truth for you that said, well, the reason why we need to focus over here is that, you know, Hey, if I'm trying to help people be more productive, and everybody's focused on efficiency, but they're not focused on effectiveness. Well, I really believe that like, well, haste makes waste. I mean, we can't be efficient and effective if we're not taking like the actual effectiveness piece of the equation. So that's why when I'm looking to help, you know, produce something that helps people be more productive, that's why we need to look at both sides. So your brain was building this story. Now, the reason why this is so important is that if you're trying to make the case for your product or service in somebody else's head, their brains are doing the same thing. So you have to rebuild that story in their head. You have, to, you have to fill in the blanks that their brain is looking for. And here's the key. It can't just be with your answers. You have to build their answers. So that's, kind of, that, that's where a lot of this work really has to happen, where you're thinking about how can I build the story that someone will tell or would tell themselves about my product or service. Uh, but the way to get there oftentimes, to your point, Carrie, is to back up and say, well, how did you get there? Because if you can recreate your path to it, then it's a lot easier to figure out how do you build somebody else's path to the same conclusion. And do you find that when you're working with, like, with companies and brands on this, that they've sort of lost their way a little bit where for what the original problem they were trying to solve, they're now like, is that why you sort of use this method? Because you found people aren't, I've sort of lost what, what, what the reason for this thing in the first place? Yeah. And I think what I see is that there's, you know, there's been a lot of um, quite unintentional misinterpretation of like stuff in the marketplace. Like I said, I have been in brand strategy for 20 plus years now. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, we brand marketers have sold people a bit of a bill of goods. We said, well, you know, if, if they understand your brand, then they're going to be much more likely to buy like not necessarily it's going to be, they're going to be much more likely to justify whatever decision they've made. Uh, and if you've got a really strong brand then that may be the final justification that they need to buy. 
Um, but the brand isn't what makes them buy. So, you know, another way to think about it is, you know, well documented in, in, you know, in science and in, in neuroscience particular is that we're not rational decision makers. We are rationalizing decision makers. And, and I think all of us have experienced this either personally or with clients as well. It's just as we make quick decisions based on gut instinct and those stories that we tell ourselves. And then we rationalize those decisions with other things. So, you know, and one of the things that I've seen a lot lately, particularly, and it was good work, but just misapplied is kind of Simon Sinek's um, start with why. Mm -hmm. And if, and it was taken out of context because a lot of people like heard that line, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Um, and it's like, well, yes, but they have to be looking for the thing that you're selling first, right? So he used this beautiful example about, you know, hey, we're Apple, we believe in, in challenging the status quo and in innovation, how we do that is, you know, by sorry, we believe in innovation and creativity, how we do that is challenge the status quo, we just happen to make great computers want to buy one, which sounds awesome, except that if you're not already in the market for buying a computer, you wouldn't have been paying attention really in the first place, most likely. But it could be the thing that justifies, like if you're already looking for a computer, you're like, oh, well, yeah, I need a computer, but I'm also innovative. I like to challenge the status quo, so that one's going to be the right one for me. And the reason why I say it's been misinterpreted is because the the Simon Sinek stuff was originally, it was, he was originally talking about that for internal messaging. Like yes. it was about how great leaders inspire action. It was not ever meant to be external. And while the external can be helpful for people who are already familiar with you or already, who are already in the market for your products and services, great. But if they're not, you have to back up and say, what question are they asking now? And so in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's similar, you know, it's similar, it's similar in thinking or very compatible thinking with design thinking, but also with the jobs to be done mentality, where you're saying, what is it that that person is looking to do? What are they trying to accomplish right now? And as I, as we've already talked about, I like to frame it from what questions are they asking right now that your product or service can help solve. And then what we're just doing is figuring out how do we build their case for your answer. Um, and I, I think to, to a large extent, that's, that's why we have to back up because it doesn't, if, if people don't want or need and aren't looking to buy what you're selling, then your brand doesn't matter. So we need to make sure that we're talking to the people who want to buy the thing that we have. They want to buy the thing that we have because they're looking for it and we have the messaging and we're solving the problem that, that they're looking to solve. But you also mentioned that it's, it's kind of that gut feeling that an emotional feeling first. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I, and I want to be clear that it's not that they know necessarily that you have the answer, but it's like, you're not going to get somebody who's trying to buy a phone to buy innovation. That's not what they're looking for. You know, so like you might be able to shift their perspective and say, Oh, you were looking for a phone. How about a computer in your pocket instead that also happens to have a phone in it? Like that's a much more likely expansion of perspective. Right. So that's what we're, that's ultimately, that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. Um, and then the, the messaging piece comes in because it's that, that rationalization that will take place, that emotional kind of gut reaction that takes place, 
that emotional reaction depends on whether or not their brain, as they were experiencing or reading or hearing your messaging, whether their brain got enough fill in the blanks of that story they were trying to create that A, did they get all the blanks? B, were they in the right order? And C, were they consistent with their worldview right now? Um, and that to me has been often like the thing that tends to blow people's minds the most about messaging, at least the, the way that I approach it, is that a lot of times when we think about changing people's behavior, the, the, the natural tendency is to focus on, well, well let's, change, let's change what they want and believe. Well, okay, well, you want a phone, but I'm going to make you want this thing instead. You know, you should, you should, but you should want innovation. I'm like, well, no. I mean, if it's consistent with how they see the world, yes. What is consistently more effective is actually finding a way to position your product or service in a way that upholds people's wants and beliefs in a way that, that basically says, so you want this, right? Yes. Great. There's a good reason why you want it. Now, why aren't you getting it? Okay, well, let's look at what's getting in the way of that, how you're approaching that problem right now. Now, it makes sense why you're approaching that problem, but would you agree there's another way to look at it? So I see this, for instance, I had a client that worked on selling SEO services. And you know, it's very natural that people want to be you know, found by the people who they want to find them. They want to be found by the right people, by you know, the right customers. Um, but the way that people tend to approach those, those digital marketing services was kind of like piece by piece by piece. And people would say, yeah, absolutely. We're trying to find the SEO piece. We're trying to find this other piece. We're trying to find this other piece. And I said, well, you know, there's, you know, would you agree there's a way that these things all have to work together, that there's actually, a, that ideally these are a system of things. Like they all have to serve this end purpose. Yes. Okay. Well then what, wouldn't you also agree that the, kind of system that would support your digital marketing most is one that is actually tailored to you. Well, yeah, that makes sense because I, you know, if something's off the shelf, we've got unique things that, that you know, I, that you know, off the shelf isn't going to necessarily work perfectly for. So yeah, of course I want a, a system that's tailored to me. And then they can say, well, that's why when we work to build your system of digital marketing uh, elements, we're doing it in a way that learns. So we create what he called a learning system for digital marketing. And now what you see is that instead of just selling, okay, we do SEO, we do this other thing, we do this other thing, he said, now they're selling actually something much larger. But we've never asked that person to want a completely different thing. We've just using the things that they already want and that are consistent with what they already believe and are consistent with what they're already doing. We're giving them a new option that's actually, that ends up feeling better for them and a better way to achieve what they wanted in the first place. So when you work with clients, you generally, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because you will, and it's going to be awesome, but you generally have a day where you come in and you sit down and you go through this process and asking these questions and getting to sort of the red thread in the heart of the matter. But the client's got to come in with a lot of these answers, Right. I mean, to, to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish. I mean, I don't, they need to go find those sort of questions in, in, a, in some way so that they come prepared, essentially, it sounds you like. You know, I, I find that they actually know these questions better than the answers better than they think they do. And it's mostly an, a, a, an exercise in, you know, the, 
the wine can't read its own label or however you want to put it. But the way that I think of the red thread is that it, in a lot of ways, it's like the operating system of, of a company. It's what gives rise to the brand. It's what gives rise to its culture because it's the the system of commands kind of built into the company based in, you know, uh, built into how people build those kind of internal stories um, that guide the behaviors. And what I found is by walking people through this, uh, this process of, of, you know, asking and answering questions that they really generally do have the answer. Um, because where it's, what we're trying to start with is what resonates the most for them as the people that they want to work with or who the, what resonates for them as the kind of people that they're trying to serve. And most companies have that information either because they've done extensive research, but generally, even as a rough cut, oftentimes where I'm working with folks is to get, get to a set of messages that they can then go test. Um, but nine times out of 10, the messages test well because it's based not so much on what a company thinks it should be, but on what's already built and strong on, on the kind of patterns of behaviors, the patterns of choices they've already made to date. Yeah. I think if we sat down and really like put our heads together as business, you know, Mike and I, as the business owners, having talked to a ton of clients and been around now for eight years, I feel like we should have we we should have these answers in theory. Well, there's like a, yeah, there's a little, there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a mental framework, which can actually serve as a conversational framework as well that I, that I use. It's called the conversational case. Uh, happy to give you, and there's, a, there's a tool that I developed for it, but it kind of goes like this. So imagine it like a fill in the blank. It's kind of like a Mad Lib for business grownups. Um, but it goes, but it runs like this, like when speaking with whoever your audience is, they often want to know, okay, what, what is a big question that your folks want to answer so that they can, and then you fill in, achieve some higher level goal. When looking for that answer, they often focus on blank, you know, whatever their current perspective or approach is, rather than on or more than on blank, which is kind of the new perspective that you're trying to introduce. Yet, we can all believe or we can all agree it's true that, again, some kind of consistent shared belief, shared value. Which is why we recommend or why our answer is to, and then you put in, what is your approach? What is your new answer? Which not only, continuing the framework, answers their question, but it also gives them what Seth Good would call some kind of free prize, some kind of additional benefit that they may not have been looking for uh, in the beginning. And then optional ways to go forward. So here's how we do that. Kind of outline either your products or services or the process or different verticals or industries where you work. Um, uh, and then kind of this, this perspective of, and so, you know, therefore, would you be open to whatever the next step is? And what I find is that even without that deep examination of the red thread, which is, you know, if I, if I'm, you know, there's kind of two camps of folks, there's a camp that says, you know, we just want something that's, that's pretty good. And let's just give us a new framework for having these conversations. Like that's one camp and just filling out that case can be very helpful. And then there's another camp that says, yeah, we can do that. And we also want to make sure that we've got our answers to that as powerful as they can be and as flexible as they can be. And we actually want to know why we're answering those questions that way so that we can build a whole bunch of other messages. You know, those are really kind of two camps of folks that I work with. Either way though, starting with that conversational case is a, is a, is it just a really useful way? And just as you were saying with you, you and Mike, I bet if you sat down and just filled in those blanks, you'd say, okay, well, when we're talking to 
demand gen marketers, like, you know, Carrie, what's a question they want to know? What's a question that you often hear from them that you feel like you've got, you and Mike have a very solid answer for? What comes to mind? Yeah. Uh, I guess why us? Normally when they sit down with us, they're like, oh my gosh, all right, I've talked to three other agencies. What, what's your process and what do you do? Right. And why are it that they're really looking to achieve? Why are they even looking for a, a, you know, an organization like yours and Mike's in the first place? Like, what is the, what's the problem they're trying to solve right now? Uh, it's usually because uh, they've had a dip in traffic. Like, okay, our traffic's starting to tank. We don't know why. SEO has been driving a ton of revenue for us and now it's going down. We need to bring somebody in to tell us why this is happening and how to fix it. Right. So either of those questions would be a great place to start. So when we're talking with demand gen marketers like you, they often want to know how can we, you know, why, why is our traffic suddenly dropping or why has what we've been doing so far stopped working or how can we make, how can we increase traffic to our company? Right. That's the place. And yep. why do they want to know that so that they can sell more, do more, achieve their quarterly goals, whatever it might be. Now just think about it casually, like as you and Mike look out there at the rest of the market, or even at these potential clients, where is it that people tend to focus? Where do the normal answers tend to concentrate? And where do you feel that you concentrate that's really kind of different than the rest of the market? Where, what do you see that the rest of the market doesn't seem to see? So we tend to, um, we believe in the talk, you know, blocking and tackling and the foundation, like, yes, duh. But I think what really separates us is that you work directly with experts who really understand a business. And we usually work with B2B tech clients who have a really complicated service or product to sell. And so you, you can't just take something off the shelf and apply it. You have to really dig in and understand this business. And then, we, and then what we do after we sort of get the blocking and tackling done is we do what's called a Hail Mary. And we come up with really fearless ideas that's going to help move your traffic much more thoughtfully and quicker than just continuing to write blog posts and making sure that your title tags and meta descriptions are updated and so on and so forth. We, we really look at how are we going to move the needle and yeah. get that track for you as quickly as possible. Yeah. And what's so fun to me is that whether you realize it or not, you actually filled in all those blanks <laughs> as you're going through. And so basically what we're doing is just tightening it up. So if we're looking at that, what I call the problem pair, like the, where are they focusing now? Where could they focus? And if they did, they'd see you as the, you know, they'd start to see you as the right answer. You know, you, you gave a couple in what you said. One was um, that they, people tend to focus on elements of these, uh, you know, of, of SEO and traffic rather than on expertise. So I'm always trying to find these one word or short phrase pairs that really work just to A, get clarity, but also B, allow you to talk about it in a way that's, you know, not just clear, but also sticky to the people you're talking to. Yeah. Another thing you said was that people focus on application more than they're focusing on understanding if and why those applications are correct. Um, you know, so that would be just those right there are two different ways that you could start a really distinct differentiation process for yourself. Now, the next thing that you went to naturally was why each of those things were important. Why is expertise important? Well, because if you've got a really complicated product, then you want somebody who knows it to the same depth of expertise as you do. Like, you know, so you could say something like, well, because we both agree that expertise 
you know, dictates experience. Like the more expert you are, the better experience you're going to have or the better understanding or experience dictates understanding, which would work mm-hmm. with each of the, either of the ones that you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see, that's a, that should be consistent with somebody, with a, com- with a company that shares your values. If they don't value expertise, they're never going to hire you. Right. You know, if they don't value understanding before application, they're also never going to hire you. So, but that's fine because why would you be wasting your time with them in the first place? And so then the next place you went was, okay, so what do you do that's different? And you said, well, that's why we, we figure out all that stuff. We figure out the elements we fit and then we apply our expertise or we figure out the applications. You know, we, we start with the understanding. So we figure out the best applications and then because we have that extra level, we do these extra things, right? Um, and, that's, and that's kind of that piece where you, you put into it from there. So you basically said, so when talking with demand gen marketers, you know, they often want to know how, how they can either recover or improve you know, traffic to their sites so that they can achieve their company's goals. When looking for that answer, they often focus on uh, application rather than understanding. And yet we can both agree it's true that experience dictates uh, understanding or whatever we said, um, which is why our answer is to like apply kind of high levels of expertise to raise the experience, not only for you, but for your clients as well. So they have something that they haven't seen before. That, so not only will the traffic find you, but when they do find you, they find something different about you. So they're more likely to stay. Yeah, you know, here's how we do that process, a you know, step one, step two, step three. And so, like I said, it's rough, but by following that kind of basic pattern, you usually will surface enough to get started with. And like I said, for some folks, that's enough. That's all you need. You're like, okay, because even with just those elements, your case for what you do is going to be much, much stronger. But then for folks who say, well, I really want to get this like super, super sharp so that you've got those like great sticky phrases. Um, that's where we do, that's where we go and do more in-depth work. And so, and that's where, you know, I'm, I'm working to you know, proverbize like you know, th- those kind of experience dictates understanding. That's like a, it's a tick now. I turned everything yeah. into a proverb. Um, now I'm going to go take that. <laughs> yeah, which is fine. You're welcome. Um, but that's, but that's, but that's the, that's the deeper work. Um, right. and it's not always necessary, but when it is, like I said, it's just like, you see, you didn't have, you didn't have any specialized knowledge other than yeah. your deep knowledge of your business. And right. that's usually enough. Right. Oh my gosh. I could totally see. And I, and I'm the type of person who, uh, and maybe I will follow up with you now to sit down and like really, you know, get those tight and in ways that, you know, can speak very thoughtfully. Uh, I tend to use too many words just like I'm doing right now. And so being very concise and being sort of that one-two punch, I, I can see how people like me would really want that. Um, I can also see if people already sort of have some are like my husband's really good with words. I could see how he could take what you said and be like, okay, I got it. And then can go run with Clean it. Clean it up. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing is like to, to the point of the red thread we were talking about earlier, which has, which has five distinct steps. I was kind of talking around them, but like the five pieces that I've been talking about, what people want, I refer to as the goal, that problem of perspective is the problem that shared belief or value is something I call a truth. Um, Cause it, it creates the moment of truth. Um, the fourth thing, the thing that represents the shift in thinking or behavior, either that you're asking of them or you represent, is something I call the change. And then how that change gets put into effect is actions. So goal, problem, truth, change, actions. And that 
that kind of rough cut framework that I gave you actually helps you fill in at least a top level each of those things. So for instance, you know, the, when I'm talking to is just your audience, high level audience, um, but they often want to know, well, that ends up usually being your goal question, right? So that they can, you know, higher level goal. When looking for that answer, they usually focus on problem part one rather than problem part two. Yet we can all agree it's true that truth, like shared belief that creates that moment of truth, which is why our answer is to, and that's where your change comes in, how do we do that? Actions. Um, and so the, 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 what, what people find is that not only do they have that kind of great and a useful way to just kind of have a, what I call conversational case for your idea, which you can expand you know, across a presentation or contract, that once you've got those elements, those, 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 those building blocks of an idea, goal, problem, truth, change, action, you can, you can combine them so you can get to a short version of what you're talking about. And everybody's always looking for that. They're trying to say, well, how, how do I describe my idea powerfully or our product and services powerfully in a sentence? And more often than not, they try to start with the sentence. But that, and I, I get that because they need the sentence, but the problem is, is that it's, try, it's, the, it's the equivalent of trying to blow up a low res image. You know, like mm -hmm. you're trying to start with the tiny thing and make it bigger. But if you've ever blown up a low res image, then you know it looks like crap when it's bigger. <laughs> and it looks like crap when it's bigger because there, you know, and this is literally true, there isn't enough data in it for that image to survive at scale. And that's what happens when we try to go for our tagline or our one sentence answer first. Like it just, there's not enough data in there. But what I found is if you find those elements of the story first, then it's a lot easier to kind of shrink it, shrink it down. Um, so that, you know, you can say, so we just did kind of a very rough cut of a conversational case for you and Mike, but you could also say, you know, Hey, what's MKG about? Well, we believe, um, because, uh, so how would I do this? You, it always has something that they want, which is the goal via means they didn't expect. That's the magic formula for the one sentence. And you get that what they want, which is the goal. Okay. How can we drive more traffic to our site? And then from the, you know, whatever in the, pro in the problem truth of the change or whatever was in the conversational case that's most unfamiliar, that's what I would pair with it. So um, you, you could say something like, all right, um, you know, MKG, we believe that the best way to drive more traffic to your site um, is to apply, you know, as, is to apply expertise to our understanding so that we drive the best experiences for your traffic or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's not perfect, but again, like you can take those elements and start to brainstorm and how to put them together. And that's how you get it nice and tight. And then the, the idea isn't to get the, the full picture and all that data, like you're saying into that one sentence, it's just to get somebody hooked to then want Correct. to go learn more. And then yes. they should get to the website or to a PowerPoint or to a talk or whatever the case is that then unfolds the whole conversation. Yeah, exactly. So, so for instance, you know, I mentioned I did some work with TEDx Cambridge and while this talk is not one I worked on, it's one that a lot of people have seen. So if, if anyone has ever seen Amy Cuddy's TED talk on um, power posing on, on uh, body language and and I think it's, it's called how your body language may shape who you are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's this, she's got a whole talk there, but if I were to summarize that talk in one sentence, I would say that the big idea of that talk is that body language may be a way to overcome imposter syndrome. 
So imposter syndrome is the thing that people want or getting over imposter syndrome is the thing that people want. Mm -hmm. Body language is the thing that they haven't heard before attached to that thing. And so you know exactly what that talks about now. You know it's about how to use body language to overcome imposter syndrome. And yet you now you want to know more. And that is the key to everything is that the minute you can get somebody else to want to know more because they're curious, not because they don't understand. Right. Um, that's when that's when you can kind of expand back out. And that's why it's so necessary to have the follow-up, the whole, you know, the whole story after that, because I've seen that too, where, you know, I, and this is true even when I worked in brand strategy firms, we would do all this work to come up with an awesome tagline. And then people could never operationalize that brand because they never gave people any way to explain it other than that. Like they just had this great tagline and then people didn't know how to talk about it. Um, so that's why you have to have that story because when someone says, oh, great, well, what's that about? Um, you know, so for instance, one of, my, one of my clients would say, okay, the best way to get more engagement from your team is to solve for success, not happiness. Like that's their one liner. Like that's their kind of short, I would call it, that's the red thread of their idea that the, the way to get better employee engagement is to solve for success, not happiness. And now you want to know, okay, but how? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so, you know, what they'll say is, all right, well, when we're talking to leaders of organizations, they often want to know how can they get more engagement out of their team so that people will be, you know, more productive and happier at work. And, you know, what we find is that more often than not, people are focusing on that happy part more than they're focusing on the engaged part. But uh, research shows that actually it's not happiness that drives engagement, it's success people will be more engaged in an organization when they feel successful and when they feel that organization is successful. So that's why when they work with companies, they work on making sure and putting programs into place to make sure that the employees are engaged, actively engaged in creating the success of the organization. And it just so happens that they end up being a lot happier too. So here's how they do that. And then they would talk about what their different pieces are, but you see, you can start with that red thread and then you can follow it up with something that feels like that conversational case, um, just to get that larger explanation. Um, but because those are the bones, you know, we've found those bones, that goal, problem, truth, change, action, you can build, you can build much bigger, much, much more robust, you know, and additional stories from there. And I think that's really the key thing that a lot of companies miss is that we've been we've been taught a lot about storytelling and there's been a lot about conversations about stories and storytelling particularly in the last decade um but stories have and as powerful stories are and the fact that we make sense of the world for stories what we tend to do in business is we tend to tell stories that are already over and that's deadly yeah (laughs) if you're trying to get people to act with you or to buy with you or do something because what you're trying to do is actually build a story where they need you to finish theirs and you need them to finish yours. And that's actually a story with a different kind of name and it's something called a narrative. Um, And a narrative has the same elements of a story, but it's something that is, that is still being built. You know, so for instance, kind of classic example of the narrative is the American dream, right? You know, probably sum up is, you know, work hard enough and you can achieve anything that you want. <laughs> Debatable these days about whether, <laughs> you know, how, how that's true. But you can think of like, if that's the narrative, it's going to, you know, and we could probably break it down into the whole red thread. But there's all these extra stories 
that we can, we can tell that support that narrative, right? Mm-hmm. So we can say, okay, we can tell the story of Andrew Carnegie, or we can tell the, we can tell the story of, you know, a cab driver I once met that, you know, he, he put his kids through Harvard driving cabs in Boston. Wow. You know, these are stories of, of that narrative being put into place. But when you're talking to a prospective customer or client, you don't just want to tell them a story of somebody else who did it. That's important. It validates it validates what they might be able to do with you, but you need to be able to build a story where, where they have put themselves in it and they can start to follow their own path through it, which means what that, instead of being like kind of a lot of things we hear a lot is like, Oh, the, you know, the brand, you know, the hero is the customer full agreement of that. Um, I'm not in full agreement necessarily that the brand is the guide. Um, the brand can be the guide when you're telling a story that's already over. This customer had this problem and we presented this plan to use Donna Miller's thing. And this, you know, and based on that advice, you know, they succeeded and these were the results. But when you're talking to someone who's in the midst of that story right now, then your better position, I think, is more as the author of that story. Like you're not Sherlock Holmes, like you're not even Watson. They are both and you are trying to help them find their way. And, but without saying, Hey, I know more than you, but you're basically saying, hi, you know, it seems like you want this thing. Is that true? You know, I see the same, I see it like you do too. And so it's more like a fellow traveler on the road rather than, you know, let me show you the way it's more like, Hey, let's discover this road together. And if you see the world, if we see the world similarly, then maybe you'll see what I see and like, Oh, look, what if, what if we could solve it that way? Oh, hey, well, that's what we do. So, I mean, I just, that was an extended rant, but uh, I just, it's, it's obviously something I care very deeply about, um, but it just, it, it, there's such power in understanding what is the story that we're, that we're trying to build, not the story that we're trying to tell. Well, that's so interesting because story, I agree. Story is a huge topic of conversation. My podcast can attest to that given all the previous episodes, previous you know, before this on how everybody approached the story. But I, but nobody in all those conversations has said anything like this to me where the story isn't over. Yeah. We're on this journey together, regardless yes. of who is the hero, who is the guide. Like, yes, yep. technically the customer is always the hero, but I do think when you're watching movies and you're watching TV shows, not everyone that the hero runs into is a guide. Right. Sometimes they're on the road together. I totally love that. And it's the first time I'm hearing it. Yeah. And not every, and not every story is a hero myth either. And that, so that's the thing. And that's why I find that if we can understand story structure just as well as we understand story, and that's where this goal problem, truth, change, action piece comes in, because it's as simple as I can make story structure and as powerful without, without limiting the kinds of stories you can tell on it. If we can understand that story structure, we can tell multiple kinds of stories because not every story has a guide. I mean, because think about it. There are going to be times when you figured out something for your darn self, right? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And in fact, most of the time we're proudest of something when we figured it out our dang self, right? <laughs> um, and that's how we want our customers to feel because they're getting bombarded all the time and they're getting, and, and the tool that we've been using a, a huge amount for decades now is, is pain. Um, we've been trying to tell them that what they want is not the right thing and what they're doing right now is the wrong thing and that there's just, and they've not been listening to the right people and they're not, and, 
And what that ends up with is that's a huge reason behind the churn and the buyer's remorse and all of that that's out there because people don't like to feel like unheroic. Yeah. And so if you can start from the perspective of you are you customer client are already, as I like to call it smart, capable, and good. Like the thing that you want, it makes sense. I may try to eventually work you to So the fact that you're asking a different question by the time we talk, but the question you're asking right now, it's a good question. You know, it makes sense why you see the world that way. Whatever you're trying to do now to answer that question also makes sense. I get why you see the world that way. I see the world in that same set of information. I see the world slightly different. Do you see it that way too? I believe this. Do you believe this other thing? Because if we do, then all of a sudden, oh, you know what? And that gives us a new thing to think about. So how do we move forward together? I just think that that kind of understanding that the, 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 that the customer is the hero, but more importantly, wants to be the hero. And most of the time wants to be the hero alone Mm -hmm. is all the reason why it's really important to understand how to, how to craft that, that story that's still being built. You're trying to, you're trying to build the story in their heads, not one that's done, but one where they can see the ending and the ending includes you but it isn't because you've told them like, hey, I see the ending of your story and this is what happens because nobody likes that kind of story. Unless you're going to a psychic. But even then, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh no, I'm, I'm totally picking up what you're putting down, Tamsin. And I'm so inspired <laughs> of, of thinking about, I mean, whenever we have new conversations with clients, we don't just launch into, here's how we can make your story better. And here's how we're going to, you know, get you to your happy ending. It's always a, just being a listener. Like, Tell us your problems. Let's, let's understand what you're going through and how you see, like you're saying, how you see the world. And then we can decide if that's also how we see the world and how we might be able to help you because of how you see it and how we see it and that there's this commonality here. And then we can create right. a shift later. Yeah. Absolutely. And ultimately to me, I said the red thread was the operating system, but the other way to think about it is like finding the red thread means that you have found, you've found a way to surface your point of view of the world, to surface and articulate your point of view and and your worldview and how you see the world. And when you know that, then it's a lot easier to find and articulate it in such a way that other people go, oh, actually... I may not have framed it exactly that way to begin with, but I see the world the way that you do too. So it makes it easier for you to find your people and it makes it a lot easier for them to find you because you're using concepts and phrases and perspectives that are familiar to them and not, and you know, are familiar enough that they feel known, right? It feels known, but then what we're using that known piece to introduce kind of the unknown piece. It's a, I mean, that's an ancient rhetorical device called the known new contract where you always want to start with kind of what's known and, and validate that before you move to something new. But if you think about how often we try to do the reverse in marketing and sales messages, where we are like, well, here's this new thing. You should love it. And they're like, but why? Um, <laughs> You know, I just, it's, you know, it, you know, my unofficial term for this approach, other than like the red thread method, when it's red thread method, when applied to branding, I mean, to me, it's just like, it's, it's bass backwards. I mean, it's a completely opposite of what everybody says you should do, which is, you know, figure out your why and figure out what your brand is and then go market it. I'm like, no, figure out what your, what the buy is and then yeah. back that to what is it, you know, where do you meet them in the middle? Um, and that's 
that's where I think great messaging lies is, is in the middle between what they want to buy and what your, and what you, what your brand is. Um, but you know, you, anyway, we could talk about the, the dangers of, of kind of customers, excuse me, of company centric branding approaches all day. Um, but if there's really something that I'd love, you know, for your listeners to get across, it's just this concept of how do you start from their perspective and how do you build their case for your product and service you, based on how they see the world right now. It doesn't mean that you can't introduce new information, but it has to be new information that's at least consistent with mm-hmm. how they see the world. Um, and once you've done that, then they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel respected. And that's the point at which they're willing to entertain new information from, you know, in, your, in every case where it's marketing from a new source, because, you know, they're not going to trust you out of the gate. The way that they trust you out of the gate is that, that they see that you see the world that they do, you know, and that's, that's a really powerful shared perspective to start with. And meeting them in the middle. I love that. Well, Tamsin, thank you so much for joining me on the MKG podcast and sharing your point of view so passionately. I, yeah. I agree with you. I love this point of view and I hope our listeners can also shift the way that they think and putting the customer you know, at the center of this and understanding what their needs are to then build a case for why, why their brand. So thank you so much. My pleasure. And would it be helpful to, to give your folks a a link to where like a, I just have a quick blog post where I, I write out that case and they can link to a worksheet. Yes. I'll put it, I'll put it in the notes. So it'll be, okay. look below guys and go check it out. Yay. All right. Thank you so much, Tamsin. So that was my conversation with Tamsin. Nathan, why do you think brands choose MKG? Um, I think it probably is for a couple of things. Uh, one, we, we really I know who our target ideal client is. Uh, and we kind of stay inside of the industries that we're familiar with and work with. So the service that we're able to provide, we market ourselves as expert uh, SEO, expert digital marketing, expert PPC. Um, so we're able to provide that expert level of quality, which is obviously a value proposition in and of itself. Um, but we're able to do that inside of a space that it doesn't take us long to ramp up into. And we're very, very familiar with. Um, and I think that's probably one of the main reasons that I would expect brands to continue to, to choose us. And it sets us apart. Uh, one of the challenges I've always had as, a, as an SEO taking on a new client is it takes me somewhere between three to six months to really familiarize myself with who they are. Um, and, and even when I started with MKG, it was the same thing, learning new clients, learning who they are, learning their business. But when we have clients that are playing in generally the same space, whether it be like software as a service or, uh, or the cloud database space, uh, we're able to then take learnings from one client and move them quickly to the other, have ideas and strategies in place to, to, to execute more, more effectively and more quickly, uh, which I think is a huge value proposition that you won't find normally at all agencies. I'm not saying there aren't agencies out there that can do that, but this is definitely something that I think sets us apart and why brands would choose us. And, you know, that fits right in with Tamsin, what Tamsin's trying to say in terms of finding that, not only that need, but sort of that, that space that's not being filled. And I agree that experts are definitely a need and working with experts definitely provides value that I don't know 
you really see until you work with experts and go, oh, I see the difference. There's a clear difference between working with a full stack company where you have the director to the supervisor, to the senior, to the assistant versus working directly with the person who is the expert in the SEO space, pulling the levers, making the recommendations and talking to you on the phone. There is just, yes, like it's the, one of the big reasons why we built MKG which Tamsin talks about as well, the reason, one of the reasons why you actually went out to do this thing. And that is one of the reasons we didn't want a really big hierarchy within our organization. We really wanted clients to have that experience talking to people who, who do the work. So Nathan, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you'd like to connect with Tamsin Webster, you can find her uh, and learn about what your red thread is. You can find her on LinkedIn, which is in the show notes, along with her website and resources she mentioned throughout the episode. And thank you for listening to the MKG podcast, the podcast that helps marketers grow their businesses using the four M's, the right means, messaging, media, and measurement. I'm your host, Carrie Gard, and until next time.